0: Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barkers UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we discuss the resurgent interest in commodities, as seen in the rising demand for gold and higher oil prices, and what this could mean for investors, with Nikki Eggers, Head of Investments, Luke Pierce, Investment Strategist, and Miles Sherry, Investment Consultant. To find out about starting your investing journey with Barclays, visit barclays.co.uk forward slash investments.
1: Hello, welcome to this week's Word on the Street. We're joined by Luke Pearce, who's Senior Investment Strategist in our CIO team focused on asset allocation. And also Miles Sherry, who's a senior investment consultant. Hi, Luke. Hi, Miles. How are you doing?
2: Very well, thank you. Thank you very much, Nikki. Uh, yeah, taking full advantage of the really nice weather and managed to get out and play some golf recently, actually. So yeah, doing very well. Thank you. Wow, Miles. How about you?
3: I would echo that, and it's so refreshing to hear someone be positive about the weather for a change, rather than complain <laughs> about the heat. So well, well done, Luke. <laughs>
1: Well, Miles, that's only because Luke got in there before I could say, Are you managing not to melt? But (laughs) (laughs) so, look, it's great to have you back. I'd like to pick your brains specifically on commodities. And many market watchers will have seen that the commodity complex has had quite a strong start to the year. And we ourselves, within Barclays, in our investment, team increased our exposure to the asset class earlier this year. And and I mention that not because I'm looking for for accolades for you all, but more that uh, there was a reason why we did that. And this is very much around our long-term investment planning. But given short-term what we've seen happening, I just think it would be really helpful for our listeners to hear a bit about how we see commodities play a part in in multi-asset class portfolios and funds. So, before we just go specifically down that route, Miles, there's a you know a lot going on in markets. But mm. what what are you hearing from clients at the moment that they're either enjoying or, or feeling particularly concerned about right now?
3: Well, I think those who have been invested have been enjoying the fact that the first half of the year has in general been pretty positive for risk assets. But I guess on the concern side, not surprisingly, inflation seems to be very much front of mind at the moment. So still some conversations there. Then interest rates, of course, are linked to that. So clients have been asking about what may or may not happen in that space, particularly, of course, given the US Federal Reserve has turned a little more hawkish of late. So bringing forward those interest rates hike expectations a little bit. I and mean, then of course, more recently, there's been conversations around the so-called Freedom Day in the UK. What does that mean in an environment where we have been seeing case numbers rising even before those restrictions have been lifted, particularly as many in the investment world at the moment are talking about this early stage recovery, perhaps being near sort of peak growth stage. So there's a bit going on there. But really, I guess, as always, it boils down to why invest now, really.
1: And, I mean, we have heard the narrative shift quite a lot recently. So, So Luke, like it or not, you're, you're responsible with the team for how we place our, our, our assets from one moment to the next. So what's, what's the latest thinking from you and the team?
2: Yeah, I think Miles summarised it quite, quite nice, actually. I think he covered off all the, all the kind of different things that markets are really trying to grapple with at, at the moment. So you know, if we firstly take a look at the Federal Reserve, so the, the kind of central bank, bank in the US and actually the sort of global central bank as well. As Miles said, we are seeing uh, slightly less uh, accommodation from them. So what they've kind of said under their new average inflation target framework is they basically told uh, investors and market participants that they intend to let inflation temporarily overshoot their target to kind of quote unquote make up for any previous undershooting of that target. Now, the the difficulty with that is they've they've been intentionally vague about how long they're comfortable letting inflation overshoot, or by actually how much. But I think you know, given some of the recent upside surprises in the latest inflation data, I think it's perhaps those are sufficient in the Fed's view to have previously made up for the previous undershoot, and I think that's why we're seeing perhaps a little less accommodation from from the Federal Reserve going forward. Uh, second thing, as well as Mars pointed out, um, in the US we are also likely in the midst of what we would call sort of peak growth or peak p- policy supports. You know, as we've talked about quite a lot on this this podcast before, the recovery in the US has been exceptionally swift, in large part thanks to the response from from policymakers and and fiscal, um, so so the government in particular. But I think what we're seeing now is the bulk of that market friendly policy support is is likely well behind us. And actually, if you look at some of the lead indicators, so I think Will covered this off last week, some of the business surveys like the PMIs, the Purchasing Manager Indicator Surveys, um, as as I said, Will was discussing those last week, they seem to have peaked uh, at least kind of in the near term as well. Um, That that said, I should point out that that levels of growth in in the US um, are still likely to remain pretty strong throughout the second half of the year. And actually, as we head into 2022 as well. And then lastly, also, as Miles mentioned, um, we are seeing increased risks, I think, from the rise in Delta variant cases. So I don't think the risks are actually uniform across the world. Obviously, vaccination progress will will kind of have a big impact here. Uh, I think it's quite reasonable to argue that actually the risks are probably lower in the developed market world, uh, just given that typically they are so much further ahead in that vaccination rollout. So if you look here in the UK, for example, what we've seen so far is that the link between cases and hospitalizations seems to, you know, thankfully be far weaker than, than versus the previous waves. Unfortunately, I don't Think the picture is quite the same for many emerging market countries, though. Um, Most countries there are simply not anywhere near as far along in their vaccination rollouts. And actually, some countries, as a result, have already had to resort to further lockdowns. Um, So, Indonesia, Malaysia, uh, and other sort of EM Asian countries as well, in particular. So, I think the combination of those three dynamics, um, we've seen a little bit more. Um, sort of choppiness, I would say, in risk assets. So, in, in stocks or some of the sort of less quality uh, corporate credit. And actually, I think that's also why we've seen government bond yields drift a little bit lower since the highs in May as well.
3: And just to very quickly chip in there and really to emphasize what you nicely summarized, uh, Luke, when you hear that term peak growth, it maybe sounds all a little bit negative. So, the point here is that markets are not necessarily due a correction or significant move downwards. Um, it's more just the fact that we've generally seen most risk assets, as you said, Luke, deliver pretty stellar returns in the first half of the year. Um, and whilst the second half may be less exciting, we still, of course, think investing where it's suitable today looks attractive, particularly, of course, given the meat returns we continue to see from cash, particularly as well when you then add uh, any potential inflation on top of that.
1: OK, and so turning to commodities, which is you know our, f- our focus topic today, there quite a different asset class with respect to, say, you know, your, your garden variety, bonds or, or stocks. And, and we've seen quite a significant run up in prices over the last 12 months or so. Do you perhaps, Luke, want to give the listeners a bit of a update on what what performance have we seen in the commodities area before we dive into the wise and wherefores? falls?
2: Yeah, sure. So commodities are, as you alluded to, quite, quite an interesting asset class. They're, they're quite different from bonds or stocks, uh, as you say, in, in that they don't really tend to have a forward looking component. And what I mean by that is if you think about stocks, for example, for, for the most part, today's stock prices represent the market's collective set of expectations on future cash flows from the underlying companies. Whereas if you look at sort of commodity prices today, they tend to be primarily based on kind of today's uh, demand and supply outlook. So um, that said, commodities weren't immune to the unprecedented initial lockdowns that, that we saw in March last year. And if you look at, uh, at sector performance, with the exception of precious metals such as, such as gold, all commodity sectors were hit pretty hard. And actually, we even had negative oil prices uh, at one point, which uh, I don't think anybody thought was, was possible and fortunately, our exposure to commodities in, in our client portfolios was actually pretty low back then. So depending on kind of risk, which risk profile you were sitting in, it was typically no more than sort of low single digits. And as economies reopen, though, what we've seen is, is demand recover. And as demand has recovered, we've, as you pointed out, seen a pretty remarkable recovery in commodity prices, particularly during the second half of, of 2020 uh, last year, actually. And if you look this year, all commodity sectors, uh, apart from precious metals, have actually extended their gains. And if you look at commodities as a whole, the benchmark that that we use or, or keep track of, uh, that is up almost forty percent over the last year or so. Though, of course, I need to be sort of quick to point out that that past performance is not an indicator of of future performance.
1: Yeah, f- fair enough. Okay, and and of course, one of the sort of key commodities that that's often talked about in the press, and most listeners will be very familiar with is is oil. How have oil prices specifically fared over the last year or so? What what have been the supply and demand dynamics behind those movements?
2: Yep, so like a lot of other commodities, oil prices have recovered substantially since since last year, driven by actually both the demand side and also the supply side. So as economies have have reopened, that has you know clearly led to a natural increase in demand. But also the the policy response from governments has also helped oil prices too. So you know I'm not just talking about the size of the response here, which you know, as we talked about before, was enormous by kind of any objective measure, but actually the composition of the relief provided or the type of relief provided. You know, most of that relief was targeting kind of lower income households. And lower income household spending tends to be a little bit more commodity intensive. So that certainly helped to kind of buoy oil prices too. At the same time, OPEC member countries um, who control a quite quite a significant amount of oil production and reserves, they agreed to essentially cut off a lot of supply to the market, which again helped to, to support prices. Um, I should point out though that OPEC member countries have actually agreed. Very recently, actually, as, as recently as last Sunday, to increase production again after some internal disputes. And that has caused some prices to to drop this week. Um, so if you look over the last week or so, prices are down sort of anywhere between sort of 7 to 10%, depending on which um, oil you look at. And I think that actually highlights some of the difficulties in predicting these these markets in in the short term. There's not just a sort of pure fundamental basis on which you can assess them.
1: Okay. And the other commodity that I think is often at the forefront of people's minds is gold. And I know you get a lot of questions about gold and our views on it. So, Mars, what would you say is, the, is both the typical view of clients, how it fits into their portfolio and, and perhaps you know, what, where we stand on that?
3: yeah it's uh it's a funny one actually. Some clients typically think of gold as a bit of a safe haven investment and even a hedge against inflation too. but in truth, we don't think it's reliably either of those so if you look back you'll find that most of the increase in the price of gold has actually come during economic expansion so whilst it did help protect portfolios in march last year as luke alluded to earlier it wasn't really of much help during say the great financial crisis back in 2008 or of course during the dot-com bubble that we saw back in the late 90s extending into the early 2000s and so historically gold doesn't follow inflation or inflation expectations but does instead really follow what we'd call inflation adjusted or otherwise real government bond yields so by that What I basically mean is you take the yield of a government bond and then simply subtract future inflation expectations off that. So really, the intuition here is that gold is perceived as this store of value. And that store of value basically becomes more attractive. The lower inflation adjusted yields are. And of course, vice versa. This relationship has held pretty well over time. And it does explain why gold isn't necessarily an inflation hedge per se. And just look at this year as an example, really. We've had huge upside surprises in inflation, as we spoke about earlier, but gold's price has actually come down a touch.
1: Okay, so we have drilled into oil, we've drilled into gold, so to speak. But just taking a step back and, and looking a bit more holistically at the commodity asset class or complex as a whole, Luke, as investors. How should we think about commodities, their use in our multi-asset portfolios or funds, so the diversification benefits, if indeed those are the main benefits?
2: It's kind of, as you you said at the start, Nikki, part of our latest strategic asset allocation, or SAA, changes that we made earlier this year, that included allocating a slightly higher weight to commodities than, than we had previously in portfolios. And as you also mentioned, your portfolios have certainly benefited from this change, but we would stress that the decision wasn't based on kind of some short term outlook, but much more on a longer term based outlook and also in a multi-asset context of thinking about how commodities interacts with the stocks that we hold, the bonds that we hold, as well as you know, other assets as well. I think for us, commodities really serves two main roles in our portfolios. So firstly, it provides diversification to the rest of the portfolio, and as we talked about a lot. Commodities is very, very different to your sort of average stock or your average bond, and they have very different underlying drivers to equities and bonds, and that provides provides diversification. And secondly, commodities can help protect portfolios against you know, unexpected rising inflation as well. So that's, that's the strategic asset allocation, the, the SAA. As for our tactical asset allocation, so that's where we do the shorter term tilts to portfolios based on our slightly shorter term outlook. Historically, we haven't really held strong views here. We tend to view commodity markets as as quite complex with a lot of unpredictable moving parts. Uh, And, you know, for that reason, we we typically haven't made too many shorter term tilts, but we would obviously never rule out making any kind of shorter term view on commodities.
3: And I think that's a nice way of talking about it, Luke. This is not a simple asset class by any means, is it? And that's really why, in terms of how you and the team go about investing this in client portfolios, we have that diversified exposure, really trying to align ourselves to the kind of Bloomberg Commodities Index. And the reason behind that is hopefully it will smooth out a bit of the a bit of the volatility. Because as we were discussing earlier, if you invest in one particular commodity, say gold, say oil, it can work very, very well for you. But equally, as you said, when the oil price turned negative last year, it can also work against you as well.
1: That's very clear. Thank you both. And uh, thank you to our listeners. Hopefully you got some good insights out of the world of commodities in today's podcast. And uh, as always, if you have any ideas of things that you'd like to hear our experts talk about, then please don't hesitate to contact us via LinkedIn. With that, I hope everyone enjoys more of the sunshine as we go towards the weekend. Um, And we'll speak to you again next week.
0: All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.